Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's Friday episode of Star Wars Lads. We are diving back into the Star Wars Legends book club that we started last month with Darth Vader and the Ghost Prison. And we're talking about the original Star Wars EU book, Splinter of the Mind's Eye. So we're going to dive into this book, talk about some of its place in Star Wars history, some of the ways it treats its characters, the world building, all of that, and just the book in general. But before we do so, please hit that like button down below, subscribe to the channel for Star Wars content. Also, stay tuned for a lot of other random drops. We're going to we're gonna drop a lot of extra content in the week, but we're kind of switching back to Monday-Friday format for our main two series, which will be uh, constantly changing on Friday, and you kind of know what those are. Those are tier lists and legends book club and comic recaps and like all those things we've been doing news videos um but we will still cover any big news that comes out on any day that it actually drops and then monday we will still have kind of our individualized specials that give you more of a individualized look to each of each of us as we look at star wars in our own unique way so now to get into splinter of the mind's eye uh this is a such a fascinating read and i read the comic a long time ago but reading the book now um uh it's it's very unique and very different so for context this is the first star wars eu book ever it came out in 1978 and it was written in kind of a way to be a possible film adaptation for a sequel to star wars so this was based on conversations that the author alan dean foster had with george lucas they kind of just threw out some ideas pitched some things where star wars could go and based on those conversations alan dean foster had with lucas he wrote this book and they tried to keep it budgeted enough for a possible film adaptation Harrison Ford had not signed an ex extension for his contract for more than one film. So that's why it only features Leia and Luke as well as the droids. So there's no Han Solo, no Chewbacca in this. It's a, and it's a very isolated story. I think that's what's most unique about it. We're going to start here talking about the writing and kind of the, the general nature of the book itself, how much we enjoyed the book. And for me, it, it's, there's so many better Legends books and there's a lot of better canon books in terms of its storytelling, its scope, its impact, its importance. Um, but but this one's a cool piece of history. And I think for me, as somebody who really loves history and who's kind of a, the Star Wars history buff with a, on, on uh, a lot of things, I think this book has really grasped that, that part of my brain that's like, whoa, it's doing this for the first time. Or, oh, that, look, at this idea was already here back in 1978. Like, that's crazy. Um, so I think that's what kept me flipping the pages. I think as a story, it is short enough to where it's never boring. The, the pace is really solid. Um, there's a decent amount of intrigue. I think some of the intrigue disappears, obviously, because it was written in 78, <laughs> and now we're reading it in 2022. It's... We, we know what happens to these characters and we know kind of some of the stuff around it, which also changes the way we look at the characters and stuff, but it does have a solid pace. It's I think it's 199 pages, so it's not even 200. It's a very short, fast read, a very centralized group of characters. It's not expansive, but I'd say I enjoyed the book for what it is. It's definitely uh, got its flaws, but we'll talk about those a bit more in later sections of this video. Yeah, it's like, uh, like you said, it is isolated. It's very much the space adventure um, that you'd expect, but a little bit, it's a little bit more mystical. I think that sense of, 
mysticism and a little bit more not not archaic but older a little bit more strange and mysterious that feeling that was was already like being developed in 1978 between Alan Dean Foster and Lucas that eventually makes its way into the more spiritual philosophical and dark of the Empire Strikes Back but I, I give pause because as much as Alan Dean Foster like ghost wrote uh, the first Star Wars novelization and he fully wrote this book, he went a little wild with this book. Um, the writing style isn't like anything to like be like, oh my god, this is amazing. This is no, it, it's very basic. It's very like very much written like those 50s, 60s Princess of Mars sci-fi magazine stories. Like they're very quick. It's very snappy, very pulpy at times. But I hesitate to call this a low-budget sequel because this this has a lot of things that I think would have been even harder to pull off considering what we see in The Empire Strikes Back, which is very practical. It's very much on the sets. Like Dagobah is probably the most effects-heavy set I can think of in the whole movie. Like, yeah, there's the hot battle. There's, there's stuff that's going on with the end at Bespin and all that, but... For the most part, that probably was the hardest set. Some of the animals and creatures that maybe Alan Dean made them up himself, they're like hard to pull off. You can't necessarily like there's the the user or whatever the use them. Yeah, they use them. Yeah, it's after reading the comic as well. They're not easily like portrayable as like uh, Wookie is. And then they have these huge like well tunnels that like go to the underground, and then there's light underground. Like a lot of these things are hard to pull off in today's streaming world. So I don't really see how this was ever consciously like a low budget feature, but it it is fun. I I do agree with you. This story is fun. It is very much using the same sort of characterizations as like a new hope does with its Imperials. Like the Imperials are just incompetent, villainy, bad. That's it, right? Like that's really all there is to them. There isn't anything more done here. The force does grow a little bit, but it's really leaning on like everything from the movie. Like there's a lot of times where Luke hears Obi-Wan's voice or something and it's written out by Alan Dean Foster, like behind you or stuff like that, right? So it, it's very much still leaning on a lot of the stuff from the film, but it does do some pretty interesting things that are central to the plot that are force related. And when it comes to the writing, I'm, I'm just not a big fan of some of the characterizations. I think that was my biggest issue with this whole thing. Yeah, and let's move into those characterizations because that'll be the next section we kind of talk about here because our main characters are Luke, Leia. They're the central focus of this. And then we also have C-3PO and R2-D2 returning as well as Darth Vader. Then we have our Imperial Grammel, who's kind of just, you know, he's there. He's the bad guy for the while as they tease Vader. And then we also have Hala, who's probably our biggest new character in this book as well as Hin and Key, who uh, are basically there to be our Chewbacca's of this. They are the Usum. We also have a couple new alien races created for this, uh, the Koei. In, in that sense, too, I wanted to piggyback off the point where it, it does. This is a very traditional sci-fi story. It's very enclosed and not as big as Star Wars usually is. Also, another point with that, too, is it's it's all about discovery and, and learning what Mimban is like and finding the different like mysterious places and peoples of this planet, which is far more traditional sci-fi than Star Wars usually is. Star Wars is usually very lived in. 
especially in the original trilogy era and in a new hope if we're just looking at a new hope star wars nobody's looking at the aliens in the uh moss eisley cantina and being like whoa like look at that like abomination uh everybody is <laughs> they're all used to each other and they like they all live in this world together and that's one of the things that made star wars so unique and in this it is treated a lot more like a traditional star trek show where you go to a planet and you find a race of aliens and you're like oh man we gotta like defend ourselves from the native aliens here like star wars is always much more established in the world everybody's used to it and especially post empire strikes back continues that trend over and over and over again and so when we look at the characters here uh luke and leia are definitely the ones that as we would expect have changed the most throughout <laughs> post this story and even pre this story c 3 r 2 d 2 or c 3 r 2 d 2 they're the same exact characters even vader for as limited of a role as he has in here is pretty much the same character his dialogue similar the way he fights is similar there is one unique feature that i guess we could talk about a little later in uh the impact it has on star wars when we kind of go more into the things that this book for shows uh, that we never get to see in other things but luke and leia are the ones who are far far different than they are even in a new hope starting with luke luke is a an extremely competent hero stock like king arthur type where he's just able to he's able to do everything he's the guy that gets him out of every problem he's very calm and reserved in this book which i felt was an interesting choice because in a new hope he is our pov character for most of us who are entering the star wars world he's the only one that's seen everything with wide eyes and he's like whoa look at this look at that in this he kind of knows everything <laughs> he's very worldly he's the one that's making calm decisions like no leia we gotta go do this uh stop you know getting all upset like we got to calm down and that's not who luke is at all in a new hope usually that's leia's role so we've kind of molded luke into your more stock sci-fi fantasy hero the chosen one uh cliche is definitely present in this story for luke and on the flip side leia is a lot more dependent on luke she doesn't know how to do a lot of things she's not as strategic uh... and she doesn't like to she's she should be the one making the game plan really she's the one with military experience political experience even in a new hope we know all these things and that here she is more of damsel in distress they mostly call her princess as well which is interesting because she, nobody even really refers to her as leia unless she's in trouble and looks like oh leia um uh, you know it's it's very much played up as the princess role in this and she's the one that's constantly getting them into trouble or making a dumb decision that's like getting them <laughs> falling back into something um so she is the one that's definitely the handled in the weakest way i would say out of all of our returning characters from a new hope and the one that is handled in a way that's far different than she's handled in any other star wars material or at least film material or canon material <laughs> ever so piggybacking off of that what are yeah. your thoughts on the way our original trilogy uh, cast was handled in this book uh, well I, i'll say this i think alan dean foster really likes princess of mars like it very much felt like luke was our john carter he was the one who came to this world and knew nothing but immediately after a little bit of trials is like better like I, we looked this up um liam looked this up and he said that this story is set in 2 aby but 
realistically, when you're reading this in 78, this is your next story. You're not thinking it's two years after. You're thinking it's like a couple of months after in New Hope. And Luke is just way too advanced. He knows how to talk to the Yuzum in their own language because apparently he learned it in his time when he was bored on Tatooine. That was his escape of sorts. Like, okay, sure, whatever. I can kind of believe that. But then he doesn't understand R2 and what he's saying, even though he's around droids all the time when he's a moisture farmer. So that didn't really make sense to me. <laughs> Another thing is he knows how to swim, but Leia, a princess on a planet that's rich and fertile, it takes a lot of its arts and creativity from the nature around it, says that she can't swim. And she makes no point of mentioning this. It's like, yeah, I, I think my biggest issue with this story is like, yeah, it goes into a lot of that Princess of Mars territory and a lot of these older sci-fi stories. They make her like a sort of Deja Taurus, like, oh, she's so stunningly beautiful, this and that. But she's so utterly incompetent, like to the point that I I, I felt it was a little sexist. I, I'm not trying to start anything here, but... Leia is probably the most competent person in the Death Star escape. She's a strong character. She is what many women today consider to be the first real like heroine. Most modern heroes have some part of Princess Leia embedded in them. And here she's like Deja Taurus where she's the princess. She's supposed to be the one who's more qualified than anything. But this now Luke Skywalker slash John Carter sort of character knows everything. It's able to do anything. And she's just... Like she has her moments. She like throws axes at the Koei creatures and she can fight when she can, but she's also used in the worst of ways. Like she gets beat up by the Imperial officer, like kicked and smushed. And she's like throwing, throwing literally a line as she throws herself against the wall, which is like the most cringiest thing about like all these old sci-fi novels is the woman always throwing herself or flailing herself around. I don't know. I just I just don't think there was a lot of respect for her character. And then that leads me into my whole bigger point is if you read this book, you understand that this is before Luke and Leia are ever considered as brother and sister. But literally the first 30 or 40 pages are just Luke just ogling Leia. She's like, oh, she's so beautiful. Oh, she looks better in mud. Oh, she's my servant lady. I slapped her. Oh, these guys are roughhousing. Like everything about it is just uncomfortably like even for the 70s, just like it's like trying to reduce her to a character of the 30s and 40s and those really pulpy books that no one took seriously. And those were just voyeurism and escapism when she was already a great here in the 70s. And now reading it now, it just makes it look like she's such a tragically miswritten character that's just to be looked at and be like oh she's so hot like that's not her character at all and seeing luke just be increasingly more competent like he has moments where like his force abilities are amplified because the situation arises and like it's the stress that really brings it out i think that's cool but he's just way too good at everything too in that moment and then the whole finale of her fighting vader and then dying and then luke fighting and also losing and then Vader just disappeared. It just, uh, I, I don't, I just, the fact that we have Leia go through so much of this like BS and then she's suddenly just fighting at random moments and then saying like, oh, I'm not good at this. Oh, I'm not good at that. Yeah, I, 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 I think I really struggled with just anything 
that was a little bit more Leia focused throughout this book. And that's completely understandable because she's not Leia really in this book at all. She is a far more traditional sci-fi pre-Star Wars sci-fi female character, which is why Star Wars was so revolutionary in that regard as well. Um, to finish it off, though, let's talk about some of these things that have impacted Star Wars from this book, because there are plenty, and I think that's where the most enjoyment can be still pulled from reading Splinter of the Mind's Eye uh, 40 years, or 44 years after it came out. Um, starting with Kyber crystals, Kyber crystal, which initially known as something completely different as like this one crystal that was on the planet has this ability to amplify force abilities. And basically it's basically a magic stone that can do whatever it wants when plot needs it to, it resurrects Leia and it heals all of Vader's, I mean, uh, Luke's wounds. It's also giving Luke more power and Vader wants it because he'll get more power if he has it. It's a, it's a traditional sci-fi MacGuffin, but it is our first mention of the word Kyber, even if spelled differently. We also have Vader killing his own men for the first time. We don't get to see that in New Hope. He does choke somebody, but he doesn't actually kill anyone. So this is kind of a prelude to a New Hope. I mean, Empire Strikes Back where he is just, he doesn't care. He's killing everybody. Uh, the Empire is also a bit more ruthless than this. They're willing to kill their own people. They're willing to you know, sacrifice their own people for the greater good, which we don't see as much in A New Hope. It's a, it seems a little bit more political, a little bit more tiered in the way it's structured in A New Hope, and less so like a, a dictatorship where it's more portrayed in The Empire Strikes Back as we get closer to showing the Emperor. Um, <laughs> we also have Luke cutting off Vader's hand, which is, you know, again, kind of an example of Luke being way more powerful than he should be because he doesn't even get close to that point in Empire Strikes Back to defeating vader but he's able to cut off vader's hand in this which is our first uh, i guess dismemberment in star wars um and kind of alludes to the fact that vader is machine because vader just kind of ignores it <laughs> he gets his hand cut off and then he just keeps going uh we also get a lot more looks at the force through here uh, levitation uh telekinesis throwing we um a lot of different force powers that didn't show up until and the empire strikes back are teased here so for me as a kind of a star wars historian as well i, I love seeing this type of stuff and seeing that maybe this was alan dean foster's ideas maybe it was george lucas as george lucas's ideas that he wanted to put in a new hope that didn't get put in a new hope and foster decided to throw him in who knows but it's interesting to see that a lot of these things were thought of back in 76, 77, before this, even A New Hope came out. And when George Lucas was just coming up with ideas, I love that stuff because I love seeing the origins of the story and the origins of the world building, the myth here. A lot of really cool stuff. Obi-Wan's spirit is also really prevalent in here. It is used like a more advanced way of A New Hope where he's just kind of talking to Luke. We don't get the for full force ghost yet, but that was another cool piece to it. And I, I think there's a lot of really interesting stuff. And, th and that's where, you know, reading this, reading the comic version years ago, and then now reading the book version, you, you can pull a lot of really cool detail out. Uh, Mimbon is another thing that has made its way in canon. It was in Solo Star Wars Story. So a lot of legacy with all of the things that have been in here. And, and just purely the fact that this is our first Legends Star Wars book uh, after, I guess, the adaptation of the film. But it's our first Star Wars book that was 
has nothing to do with the films. And I think that is a really cool piece of history regardless. So what were your thoughts on some, some of the, uh, the innovations and stuff that were created here in Splinter of the Mods that eventually found their way into mainstream Star Wars? Yeah, I mean, that you hit the nail on the head. That is probably the best part because this is a book that is stuffed with a lot of things. A lot of it feels like classic sci-fi tropes that I think are more Alan Dean Foster. I don't know how much of this was completely his own ideas and interpretations of stars, but I can say for a fact that the basis of the story is very much leaning on these old sci-fi tropes. But a lot of the stuff that we think of as Star Wars today is, I mean, it's here. This is like a lot of things have telekinesis, like the whole thing with Hala and her character. She is, she calls herself a Jedi master, right? Which if you're reading this in 78, the only two Jedi masters that you know are Obi-Wan and then Hala. And she's constantly calling Luke a boy and she can use telekinesis, which we've never seen Obi-Wan do. And there's an interesting point here because it seems like the Force was a bit more different for every person. Like when you read the High Republic and all that, like everyone interprets the Force differently. But how the Force is to them, it doesn't mean how it looks like for the outside world, right? Like you can see an Elzar man who's like, the Force is like an ocean to me. And Avar Chris is like, the Force is like a song to me, right? For them though, while that's all internal, externally, they're still doing force pushes, uh, telekinesis, using their lightsabers in the same sort of way. Like, that's still there. Like, it's still a level, like, this is an ability. How we feel about it is different, but we're still doing the same things. Here, it's like, well, Obi-Wan might be good at mind tricks, but that's probably what he's good at in the force versus Hollow, who can use telekinesis. And it's challenging for her, but she can do it. And then Luke learns it. Uh, by first helping her and then doing it but he makes a point of saying like it's a different sort of way to the force which I, I don't know if that's something that Lucas was really playing around with or if that was Alan Dean Foster or just something they both came up with together but I thought that was pretty interesting because it seems like the force was a little less all-encompassing more of like pathways that you could choose which I thought was pretty cool there is some cool political stuff like um the rebel alliance is really an alliance like working with the underground the criminal elements that is how this whole story starts they're not supposed to go to mimbon they're supposed to go to corpuses or something like corpuses 4 or whatever like there's different planets in the system kyber crystal is very much more of an amplification like you said vader i don't know if he's necessarily a machine but he's definitely like something that is not entirely human that is definitely very clear because he just literally picks up his other arm and he just pulls out his lightsaber from that like he doesn't even really scream he gets shot in the back he doesn't really say much to it and he's just like all right like moving on right it's it's interesting it, i don't like how he just goes out because they just make him seem like a recurring villain which i guess he is really what he's characterized like he's just a second tier villain not the main villain of star wars but it's so much cooler seeing what he becomes an Empire Strikes Back. And it's so much cooler seeing the Kyron Gillian line evolving him and seeing what they take from the prequels and evolving him as a character that has these rises and falls versus just being like, oh, he's a villain. Like, yeah, the, historically, a lot of these elements play out in a very interesting way. Um, and it's cool to see that. But it's also very interesting to note that a lot of these are just 
don't even work for old legends continuity. Like they forced this to be like a two ABY sort of story, but no one really believes that, right? And there's also the Marvel comics that are happening at the same time that are definitely disconnected from these. It seems like everyone was still kind of playing around what Star Wars meant in different mediums. And this might've been the closest to the film medium, but it's also just so fascinating to see just how much it diverges from what ultimately came out next. Yeah, absolutely. That's the most unique part for sure about reading this. So now we're going to give it a score out of five. We do this for all of our reviews. And with Splinter of the Mind's Eye, I think it's a really tough one to do. Obviously, I kind of look at it as I look with most media that's old. It's like when it's dated in any form, whether it's a video game from the 90s or early 2000s, or it's a film from the 30s or 20s, or it's a book from the 1800s you got to take it for where it's come from. And for me, I, I like to look at the the innovations in the history as those are the things that will stick with me. It is a very basic story about Luke and Leia. It's a very basic story about anything Star Wars related, to be honest. This would have not been a great sequel if it was a film. And so scoring it is kind of difficult. But I think for the innovations itself, for the fact that it is a well-paced, fun read, for the fact that I enjoyed my time learning what Star Wars was looked at by its original author back in 1977 when this book was probably written and then released in 78. I think I'm going to give it a 3.25. A little bit more generous than me. I, I agree. Like It does do a lot of cool things that we're like, I'm grateful for because they're they're used today, honestly. They're used in canon. They were used in Legends in different ways. I just don't appreciate how Leia is handled in the story. There are these things that seem very poorly thought out. And then for that whole finale, I didn't love that. I think throwing Vader in at the very end, he just falls. And then that's the end of his story. And then everyone's happy. That's the end of the story. Like It just ends like that too. I don't know if I really love just how it ends either. But everything leading up to it around those elements, I loved. I actually just enjoyed the sheer pacing of it. There's a lot of cool world building. This is a very sci-fi based novel, but I could see it work in like a streaming show episode or something, like a little mini series. I thought this is where uh, Star Wars could thrive in exploring more native cultures. I'd hope that they're a little bit more better handled like they were in the Clone Wars and stuff like that but yeah i guess all in all i would give this a three yeah well i think that wraps up our legends book club for the month thank you guys so much for watching let us know down in the comments what you guys think of splinter of the mind's eye whether you've read the book or the comic or both let us know down below also if you haven't yet please hit that like button and subscribe to the channel for more star wars content check out all of our other videos that we posted in the last couple of weeks we've been posting a lot of stuff lately and also youtube shorts we've been posting a lot of stuff there as well so check all of that out next month we are going to be doing as part of our entire uh, kenobi month we are going to be looking at kenobi by john jackson miller one of the more beloved legends books you can also keep an eye out for how to adapt kenobi which will be coming out in may as well we're really going to do a lot of kenobi stuff as we eagerly as well as all of you anticipate obi-wan kenobi coming on disney plus at the end of the month so thank you guys all so much for watching again if you haven't yet like comment subscribe 
and we'll see you all next time.